Hello, and welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online service. We're so excited to have you with us. Make sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to our messages, follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you and enjoy the service. With that, we're picking up where we left off on the seven churches. Now, first of all, don't worry about your pastor. He's not an idolater right now, and this isn't filled with demonic spirits in the name of Jesus, okay? You have no idea what this is, and they're just little props, and they're not the center of my message anyway, but when we, when we can make something visual, we will. But um, if, I would ask you this question. If Jesus were to write a letter to our church where he'd introduce himself, then he'd go on and he would compliment the things about us that we do right. And then he would say, but, and then begin to say the things that he's not thrilled about and then offered a path to change and followed it up with the wooden spoon of saying, if you don't change this, I'm going to shut down everything you're doing. If Jesus were to write you a letter where he introduced himself, he complimented you where it was worth it, and then said, but, and began to talk about things that he needs to correct you on. He needs to see change in your life and then offered a path of what you need to do to keep back his hand from having to judge what's left undone in your life. What would that, what would that letter look like? And that's really what the letters in the Church of Revelation are about. Um, there are so many things in the book of Revelation and so many interpretations and uh, into the, you know, there are people that are making tons of hits and tons of money right now off of uh, talking about Israel and Palestine. And the truth is, is that, you know, um, I am friends with one of the former press secretaries all the way from Ben-Gurion, past Golda. He's seen the formation of the nation of Israel. He's seen the uh, Six-Day War. He's seen the day of Yom Kippur. He's seen all kind, he's seen it all twice. I, I, I could talk with so much insight and background on that and do podcasts and stuff, but we're, we're not here to talk politics, and I'm not here to say I've got a new vision of revelation, and there's so much sensational preaching and teaching that's out there on the book of Revelation that the problem is, is we can get so sensationalized over saying, yeah, we see this and we see that, and the truth of the matter is, is never asking ourselves, what should we be seeing in ourselves that God's trying to say this needs to change? Now, the good news is, is there were, there was two churches that got nothing but good news. That is uh, Philadelphia, which we started with, and Smyrna. And ironically, there's one church, the church of Laodicea, that he had nothing good to say about it. I, I just wouldn't want to be that church, that their community that we talked about. Like, what was it that, what were the dysfunctions in their community? And that's some of the things that are defined by the external pressures. It's amazing to me to think that in Mozambique, right now, in the midst of displacement, 
multiple churches being burned, that their community is not becoming fearful and fleeing and, and av avoiding people. They're actually becoming stronger and more Christ-like, taking people in their homes and helping them. And the difficulties of this, this is the way that God set up the churches, is that we should be a community, we should be a family. And so it, the, the difference is, is that every part of the world has different dynamics to it. Every single one of these churches has different dynamics to it. And I think if you were to ask me, well, how should I read you know, the churches in the book of Revelation? I would say you shouldn't be looking at it in terms of ages. That's actually Reformed theology, where this is the church age, this is the this age. But I would say simply this, is that we should really take the basic principle for applying these letters to ourselves and to others today. It's really simple. One scholar said it like this, He's, he could talk about Greek, he could talk about uh, ancient literature, but all he says is, you know what, the letters are pretty simple. If the shoe fits, wear it. Like, apply it to your life. If God has a correction that makes sense for your life, if the shoe fits, wear it. These churches had specific problems and praiseworthy things about them, and so do we. So identify the principle and apply the principle that Jesus is trying to make to our lives. and. I think we'll find less likely that this is our church. That I, I don't think it's like there are seven types of church out there and everyone falls into that category. But I think as we begin to read and we begin to, to need our way through these things, it's, we're going to say, wow, there's a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this. And wow, these are kind of things. That's stuff I could work on. Yeah, I got that challenge. And we just kind of understand that repentance is not simply a mental or emotional thing. That's, that's how the Greeks dealt with everything. Once you figured it out, once you understood it, that is when you achieve true knowledge. That's not, that's not how it works. In the, in the Bible, when it talks about knowing God and when it talks about repentance, it's not simply a mental or emotional thing. It's an action in a change of our behavior. It, makes, it, it, it may take time, there may be some failed attempts at that change, but it's what we always say, you need to be walking in the right direction and not worrying about imperfection. I would rather be five feet from hell with my back to it, trying to move forward and falling on my face once in a while, than in total denial of everything and allowing my, I, the image, the perceived self of who I am be radiating to everybody. They're like, oh, he's a great guy, he's a great guy, and yet I'm walking straight completely in the wrong direction that God has for my life. And that's what these letters are priceless for. They're priceless for helping us understand. And so what I want to do is, is I'm just going to read through the letter, and then I'm going to walk through them and talk through them, and we're going to let God talk to us as a church to say, hey, where does this fit? Where it doesn't? If the shoe fits, wear it. And uh, that goes for the compliments of it as well, too. But let me read through the passage, and then we'll walk through. This is coming from chapter, Revelation chapter 2, starting at verse 1. It's going to be 1 through 7. <coughs> to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, 
that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. You have persevered under hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love or you have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Discovering the seven churches of Revelation, and today we're talking about the church of Ephesus. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would do what I can't. You would take the words of a man, and through your Holy Spirit, that people would hear the word of God. Lord, I pray you'd interact with people's hearts and minds as we speak. When there's a point that you're trying to make in our life, that we would feel the prick of it. If there's a praise that we desperately need, it wouldn't fall on mute ears. We wouldn't be so consumed with our discouragement that we would miss the praise of heaven saying, keep going. And Lord, that you would do a work through your word today and through your spirit meeting together within the hearts and lives of those watching online, those sitting in this service, and those that may be playing this weeks, months, or years from the time we're talking. In Jesus' name, amen. So Ephesus is really, it's a, it's a big deal. It's, in, in fact, if you look at, now we're into the book of Acts. If you read ch Acts chapter 19, 18 through 22, a lot of the stuff that happens in the book of Acts happens there with the apostles. When this letter is written, it's written about maybe 75 years past that time, and there's a lot of uh, things that have changed. The churches have grown. They're independent. The apostles are gone. The, uh, the people are, uh, or they may be just really, really elderly that are there. They've um, got momentum, but there are some things that haven't changed. For instance, it is illegal to be a Christian. Uh, it is not popular to be a Christian. And so the, the church is under a lot of pressure and persecution and hardship and difficulty. Uh, if you look back at Paul's time at Ephesus, it's the longest he stayed in one place, three years. I remember in one year we moved three times. You remember that? The year of three moves. I, could, I, I, could, I just, I, I, I hate moving. I hate moving. We, we were saying like we moved 11 times. Did I have the number right or in about there? Uh, 11 times. It might have been 1,100 because it felt like it. They say that one of the heaviest stresses in your life is not just death, not just divorce, but also moving. Relocation can, can be a, str a massive stress in and of itself, even, even in a good direction. It, it's just got its stresses to it. And that's that's life. You just got to deal with it. But the Apostle Paul stood, he sat still in one place for three years. And the, the, 
if you look at the letters and you look at Turkey, basically Ephesus is on the port. If you go across the sea that way, you're in Egypt. If you go south, or if you go south, you're in Egypt. If you go west, you're in Greece and Rome and the Mediterranean. So this is the most significant port in the entire Asian world at that time. And so goods are coming in and going out. They don't have airports and planes, so it's all about the ships. And when you look at the way the churches are written, the chronological order that they're written, they follow a travel route that is almost like a circle because several of these cities are on the, on the ocean side and the remainder of them are down along the interior a bit. So they, they literally follow. We started with Philadelphia. Philadelphia is a little bit later, but when you're reading them, you could actually understand. There's, it's like somebody lands in there and says, I need to do a tour of this region. They would take you from there to the next city to the next city and end in Laodicea last. And here's what's crazy about this place. All kinds of things happen. For instance, the Apostle Paul shows up in the city and he hears, this tells you how big John the Baptist was in the world. Now, Jews would come to Israel three times a year, and they still do, to celebrate the Feast of Booths, uh, they, they, the Passover, and uh, you have Yom Kippurim, all of these different festivals where the whole world would converge on Jerusalem. A, a city with uh, 100,000 people became millions of people just descending on it. And this, the, the whole... Um, you ever get lost in a point and you're like, what are you talking about, Paul? It just happened. So yeah, here it is. So Paul shows up in Ephesus and he, he's, he's hanging out and he's, he's interacting with people where they're at in the workplace and he's, he's talking with them and, and so he finds these people and they say, we believe in Jesus. He's like, that's, that's awesome. Uh, in whose name were you baptized? And they said, we received John's baptism, the baptism of repentance. And he goes, that's awesome. But have you heard about the baptism of the spirit that comes through Jesus Christ? And they said, no. And listen to this. This is Acts 19, 6. He says, Paul placed his hands on them. The Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 of them in all. So here's the Apostle Paul. It's almost like the gospel is spreading, but not all of it's spreading. And so the part of the job of the apostles was not only starting what Joel, um, Joel Corbin talked about, like starting a church where there is no church presence, where he was talking about last week, but it's also about uh, correcting and expanding people's understanding of what the word of God says, the truth about God's word. It, it's two kind of words that the Jewish people use and the, and, the, and the Greeks used. It's, you can have right thinking, which is called orthodoxy. You know, you're orthodox. Your thinking is correct. Have right thinking. To the Jewish people, they're like, I would rather be a person of orthopraxy. In other words, that what you practice is correct in your life. I would rather be more concerned about right doing as a Christian than being self-secured in all of the right thinking and not doing what I know and understand. 
And so this tension, Paul had to kind of sort this out. In fact, there was a young evangelist who shows up in Ephesus. His name is Apollos. And he goes around and he's talking about Jesus and he is gifted. At, like Pastor Dylan, he's like an apologist. Like you give him an answer, he'll give you five back. It's almost like getting beat up by somebody. Hey, uh, I heard this. And he'd be like, bish, 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 bish. what do you think about that now? Take this, take this verse and that verse and this verse. It's like, you know, I was like, I thought it was a good idea, man. Hold on, slow down, you know, but there's need for that to, for us to have proper thinking. I'm not saying that it doesn't matter what you think. That's a theology is important, but putting that theology into practice uh, or the praxy is, is equally important because uh, Jesus says, blessed are you when you do these things. And so he shows up and Apollos is there and he's got some of it right, but not all of it right. And what happens? These two team members of Paul's team, Priscilla and Aquila, they take in Apollos and they say, come here, son, pats him on the back. You ever do this? I've reached that age now where I'm at that form of life where you're able to look at somebody that they have it, their heart's in the right place, but they're just off. And you see that window that they're open to it. People have to be open to it, but you're just able to put your arm around somebody and be like, hey, I want to help you. Come, come here. Let's, 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 let's have a cup of coffee. Let's talk through some of the stuff. And they take them in, and then all of a sudden there's this word that there are these Jews in another city that are wreaking havoc and sowing discord and confusion about Jesus. And they're like, let's let Apollos loose on them. And so Priscilla and Aquila write a letter and say, we back, we're friends of Paul the Apostle. We just spent time with Apollos. He's a gifted guy. We've just, we've just spent some time with him. He's your guy. And he goes down and the Bible says that, that when he showed up in town that he refuted them furiously that Jesus was the Messiah. You ever have somebody that just like, he just unleashed on them. Like you ever have somebody, they're completely wrong, they're off their rocker, they're creating all kinds of problems and someone comes in and says, first thing you need to do is shut your mouth. Second thing you need to do is, is that's wrong, this wrong, that wrong, this wrong. Oh really, that, he just went in there and just went boop, boop, boop. You see what's happening in this time is, is that there are all kinds of people going around saying things. There are people that are legalistic in, in the early church that are saying if you really want want to be a Christian. You need to become circumcised. You need to obey all the dietary laws. You need to observe all of the festivals because if you don't do these things, you're really not a Christian. The early church was like, no, they're Gentiles. That's our thing. That's our, that, that's our purpose. And those things are things of the flesh. They're not things of the spirit. Those are things that God gave us as Jewish people to be distinct. So you have this Jewish group that was saying, have you accepted Jesus? Yeah. Have you been circumcised? No, then you're not saved. I'd be like, I don't know if I want to be saved now. <laughs> Sounds pretty painful, right? Uh, you, got, you guys, you get that? So then over here, we have another group of people. All kinds of people. There was a group that he mentions in passing, but tells us nothing about this group of the Nicolaitans, which in Greek means victory over men. And they would go around and they would say, listen, your body is one thing, your spirit is another. What you do in your body doesn't matter. All that matters is how you feel and what you think. So you can go to the prostitutes. You can smoke the crack pipe. I'm just this contemporary term here. 
you can do whatever you want with your body because there are no questions to it. And to, to listen, when we partake of communion, we say this is the body of Christ. We're saying we're an extension of Jesus Christ. And Paul in the Corinthians, which actually the Apostle Paul writes the letter to Corinth in the city of Ephesus. He's writing to the Corinthians about this and the verses that we read there. He even writes to them and he says, shall Christ be united with a prostitute? He's basically saying, you're the body of Christ, and yet you're going to a prostitute? Should you be uniting Christ with a prostitute? Are you out of your mind? So you've got these legalistic people that are heavy in one direction, and then you've got these liberal people in another, and there is just massive confusion everywhere. And in fact, there are some people that see that there's something about Jesus. It's amazing, the history of Ephesus. There's these Jewish guys called the sons of Sceva. And in fact, it, it, you, you could find this in Acts chapter 20, or Acts 19, 13 to 20. It says that they were Jewish exorcists. Now this is actually the weirdest thing. When you hear Jesus in the New Testament, he says they accuse him of driving out Satan by the power of Satan. And he says a house divided against itself can't stand. And then he says, if I drive Satan out with Satan, who do your people drive them out with? And we assume that they're not driving out demons, but there were. There was, there was Eliezer the exorcist. Before the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there was still the presence of evil, and the Jewish people got into this habit. They created these bowls, and this is actually one of them, where they would write prayers and they would put a picture of like what would represent a demon. And since God buried Pharaoh's enemies in water, they would put this bowl of water on the ground. And there's a reason why Jesus says that when an, a demon is driven out of a person, they go to dry and arid places and then they come back. And so what they believed was is if they had this bottle of this bowl of water and they said the right prayers and the demon was driven out of the person, the same way that God drowned the, the Pharaoh's army in the water, he would drown them in the water in this bowl and then the house and the people and everyone would be clean. Maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. But here's what I know. Jesus didn't use a bowl. He says that it says he drove demons out with a word. He said, go. Or Pepsi. I don't know what he said. <laughs> but he did it with a word. With the, and he was the word. But these Jewish guys show up in town. And that are, these are probably part of that crew that's confusing people. And they show up with their little gear, you know, their poltergeist gear. And the Bible says that they walked up and they saw the power of what Paul was doing, delivering people from demons, saw people were being healed. And they say, in the name of Jesus, who the apostle Paul speaks of, come out of him. And the demon looks at him and goes, <laughs> Jesus we know, and Paul we know. But who are you? And it says that the man jumped on the seven people and beat them so bloody. This is what a Boston beating looks like. He beat them so bloody they ran out covered in blood and they were completely naked. That's what happens in a Boston back alley beating. This demon so overpowered them. Why? Because they knew who Jesus was. The demon knows who Jesus was. The demon knows who the Apostle Paul who represented Jesus was. But who were these guys that were coming in that had no relationship? Relationship with Jesus that we're doing it. Can I tell you something? The demonic is real. 
Now, the, I don't believe in blaming the devil for everything. I'm, the, devil is, the devil is coming against me. He's attacking me. Every time I stub my toe, the devil's coming against me. You know, I think the devil's coming against the work in Mozambique, for sure. But I also think that Jesus is causing the church to be victorious in Mozambique. I think that the devil is trying to come against you and me, against our family, against our children, but Jesus is, is, is coming against that, the, the difficulty and the struggle. He's giving us the ability to overcome that. And while you're praying, listen, don't be afraid to step in there and say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, if there's anything demonic at work, I pray against it in Jesus' name. I pray that you would drive out the enemy. I ask, listen, this is a type of prayer we need to begin to enter, and it's called intercession, where we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, powers, authorities, and de spiritual demonic forces. That stuff is real. I'll never forget, I was driving down the road with my friend Rico. <laughs> the name says everything. And he was like, he would tell anybody about Jesus. And I'm in Bible college. I'm in Rhode Island at this time. And I see this guy hanging out, just hanging out. And he's just kind of pacing back, really funny back and forth. And he looked like he had the build of like a gymnast. It was like, shoom, V-cut. Like, I mean, not like he lifted weights, but like he flipped and did the bar rings. And like, and uh, my friend Rico, he's a pretty powerful guy. He, used to, he got the golden gloves in Massachusetts year, back in Lemonster before half of us were born and um he pulls up he just pulls a yui right in the middle of the road I'm, I'm saying hey we should share jesus with that guy he just you know pra practically cuts off traffic pulls in he gets out this is in the day there was this thing called tracks they were the message of jesus written on pieces of paper some of you have probably never seen these before but he walks up to him with the track and the guy takes it and he goes he goes wow he goes uh this is about god he goes, uh, yeah. And he goes, oh, wow. All right, thanks, you know. You know and he, Rico's talking with him, and then all of a sudden, he says, hey, before we go, we just want you to know it's only by the blood of Jesus that you can be set free. And all of a sudden, the guy just busted a move Michael Jackson couldn't even do. He just went, <laughs> and it was like, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating this when I tell it. All of a sudden, it was like, he began to talk to us, but it sounded like a thousand voices layered over each other. And he just starts saying, we won't say it. My friend Rico's like, won't say what? And now he thinks the guy's nuts and he's pulling me behind him and he's putting his fists up. And I'm like, my friend's about to knock him out. And I go, Rico, this maybe was discernment of spirits. I go, he's demon possessed. And he go, then all of a sudden it was like he dropped his physical gloves and he put up his spiritual fists and he starts screaming at the demon he says say it it's only by the blood of jesus and the guy's like oh. listen these sons of skiva this kind of stuff this is real like just because you haven't seen it i'm telling you it is real it's a part and that should be part of our prayer you want your children you, you you're in a difficult spot you're facing something you should always add a dimension to your praying to spiritual warfare to say god i don't wrestle against flesh and blood i'm not i'm i'm no match listen you are no match for the demonic but but might we we are mighty through god to the pulling down of strongholds and paul just jumps in there and i feel
feel like I'm preaching a message now on, and I am preaching a message on demonic possession, which is not the focus, but Paul said goodbye to the leaders, knowing that at Ephesus he'd never see them again. And he warns them. He says, listen, when I leave, there are going to be fierce wolves that come in among you and the Ephesian church not sparing the flock. I'm going to send Timothy to you and he's going to speak correction. There's some people that were giving them problems and so, uh, people who had wandered from the faith. Some of them listened to these guys. Others of them listened to these guys. But there was a real battle for the heart, mind, affection of people. Some people wanted to have less resistance in their faith and just in, it dive into their life and just go with the flow. Other people wanted the new kind of thing and pretend they had some deeper spiritual understanding. Other people just said, I want to eat, drink, and be merry and know that Jesus is just going to bail me out at last minute and so I can just do things in the body and my, my spirit is all that matters and I just say a prayer and it matters takes care of everything and it was a mess and so Paul comes sends Timothy there and he's got his hands full this young minister is just doing his best to handle it and here's the great thing is is when it's all said and done with everything that Jesus says about this church he says that he we see a couple of things one for those of you that know the New Testament in the book of Philemon there's a there's a slave Onesimus that Paul leads to Christ and sends him back to his master. Later on in church history, Onesimus became the head pastor of the church in Ephesus. It's a beautiful story of redemption. Not only that, but in this letter that we read, there's some correction that Jesus will say to them. And I want you to know the church of Ephesus took seriously what Jesus said. They put their life in order. They applied what Jesus said, and one of the four greatest councils in church history took place in Ephesus because they got the memo and they did something about it. One of the worst things that we could do is simply be hearers of God's words and not doers. So if I could say this to you as we jump in and you've got the background of this whole world of Ephesus, what's incredible is, is that that matters in the things that he says. These letters are actually addressing the things that these people are facing. If Jesus were to write a letter into your life, what would the things he would be addressing, the pressures you're facing externally, the temptations you're, you're battling internally, the things that he would say I'm proud of you for these things. I love that we have a God that doesn't hold back affirmation, but then at the same time would say, as much as I love you, as much as I'm proud of you, this needs to change. This is how you do it. But also, he is a God who is holy enough and a father that is wise enough to say, if you don't change, I'm ending this charade. And so look at the first lines in this letter. He says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, the book of Revelation uses a thing called apocalyptic literature. It uses metaphors and imagery to hide what they're really, really talking about. In simple, the, the, word, the word messenger, instantly you want to 
translated into the word angel, but uh, the word uh, angel there, angelos, can also mean a messenger. And I think this is where it's applying. Say to the messenger, the Spirit is saying to the messenger at the church of Ephesus, tell the people this. He's speaking to the pastor. If we mysticize it and we say the angel, the angel still has to get the message to a man or a woman that will communicate this truth. So at some point, we become the messengers of Jesus Christ, whether it's mystically something that happens or we just apply common sense of God's word. And here's the beauty of this, the imagery that's here that you only see in Greek. He holds the seven stars in his hands. It, if I hold something, I'm holding this, but I'm not touching every area. I'm not touching every part of it. There's parts of it that are untouched. The way that this is written intentionally in Greek is, is that every single part of that messenger's life is in his hands, completely making contact. And when Jesus says that he's walking among the church, it says that he's constantly, continually, presently, actively here doesn't matter whether you woke up this morning and had a bad moment and have a bad feeling. There is a good God that is walking all about us here this morning. The presence of the Holy Spirit is here, whether you feel him or not. Jesus is here, whether you recognize him or not. God is present in your life, walking among you. Jesus has you in his hands, and he's holding you, and he won't let go of you. I think somebody here, somebody here this morning needs to hear that Jesus is walking around your life and he's holding your life in his hands. He has you in his grip and he's present in your chaos and it's just life that becomes difficult. Then he goes on and he says this, says, I know, your, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. Now, those are really bad translations. This is where I like a language lesson that doesn't lessen the meaning of it, but this is worth it. Because the way that this is written, these words are written, the word hard work actually is more akin to him saying, I see your distress. I see your difficulty. I see your trouble. Jesus says, I know your distress, your difficulty, your trouble, your hard work. That's what it is. I know your deeds and your hard work. I know your deeds in the face of distress, in the face of difficulty, in the face of trouble. And then he says, and your perseverance. That word literally means somebody who's bearing up under the weight of trouble that is heavy, that is placed on them, that if it were just a little bit heavier, they would buckle and be crushed by it. But instead, the thing that was intended to buckle you is the very thing that gives you muscle and strengthens you. Perseverance. Bearing up under the weight that's upon you. Jesus showed, I think somebody here this morning needs to hear this. Jesus has seen 
And Jesus wants you to know that he knows the deeds that you do that nobody else sees. And he understands your distress, your difficulty, your trouble in the face of them. And he understands that a buckling weight has been placed on your back. And in the face of that, you've borne it, you haven't complained about it, and it's weary, whether it's a husband that refuses to love the one that you love with all of your heart, whether it is a financial situation that has taken grip of you and won't let go, whether it's a child that's wayward, whether it's a, a, a vice in your life that you can't seem to loosen and be free from, God wants you to know he sees the weight you bear, the trouble you face, the heaviness you carry, and the perseverance that you had, and he loves you. Thank you for clapping because I was running out of breath. I couldn't say any more nice things till that I was. If I'm being honest with you, I resent burdens. I resent them. They're problems to be solved. But if we're Christians, life requires us to bear up in distress and difficult times like heavy weight that's on your soul. Could you do it? Would you do it like the Ephesians did it? Would you bear that weight? Would you carry it? We pray, God, remove this problem. God says, no, move through this problem, this distress, with perseverance, and shine the light. See, a lesson my wife and I got from friends a long time ago is this. Reputation is what people think you are. Character is what God knows you are. And no one can change his mind. You think you know me but God knows me. I'm known and loved by God, and you are known and loved by God, and you can have peace in your life. Someone here needs to know that the Lord knows. He knows your deeds in the midst of distress, the weight you're under. The Lord wants you to know he knows. Well, he also knows some more about you. He knows that you cannot tolerate wicked people. Bible says that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and have not found, and have found them to be false. In the city of Corinth, literally all through the city, and this was just something interesting, there are paths to prostitutes. In fact, on the right-hand side there is as the the image of a particular prostitute. There's a foot that would the path would lead to the house of prostitution, and it costs money. And then they also, on another section, put a picture of the library. They had public libraries. And if you didn't have money, it was as if they're saying, you could always go to the library if you're broke. That's how, that's how, that's how perverse and open this was. In fact, this is a shopping list that was found in, in the city of Ephesus. And it literally is somebody saying, hey, pick up some ham, some provolone, some salami, uh, uh, some kielbasa, you know, all this different stuff. And, and then he says, and by the way, if you would give a dare, a, a pick up Calithia, who is a prostitute for one Daenerys. So he literally has a shopping list and says, pick this up, pick that up, pick this up, pick that, and then make sure you pick her up. So like perversion was everywhere. And in fact, in this city was a temple to Artemis and there was a tree that was in the grounds, this is actually a, a temple to Zeus where a tree grew up, but it, it gives the picture of what we're looking at. And it was said that because it was on the grounds of the great goddess Artemis, who, by the way, her Roman name is Diana, 
my wife's a goddess. Um, <laughs> Diana, the goddess of fertility, the goddess of the hunt, the goddess of war, this is why I never win. Um, there was a tree there that if you were a criminal and you got to it, you were safe. So it's like a city of refuge in the Old Testament. You could get there, whether you're guilty or innocent, if you got there, you were in safe territory. And then they extended it to say, not everybody's able to touch the tree fast enough, so let's shoot an arrow and say, you gotta live your life within an arrow shot of the temple. And then finally, Mark Anthony came and he dedicated a whole section of the city to people that came under the refuge of Artemis's tree. And, and the place was riddled with criminals all over the place. And do you think they're gonna stay in that section of the city, that they're gonna just all of a sudden say, nah, I'm not gonna steal anymore, I'm not gonna murder anymore. And so it had all kinds of problems that were going on. And he, Paul, Paul, Paul says to the church, or the, or the Holy Spirit says to the church, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. You're not like that, you're not trapping, you're not, in those trappings that are there. And then he says, I know that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. These people had a gift for pointing out people that were phonies, fakes, charade, charade uh, performers. You found them false. Have you ever faced somebody who is just outright lying about you or about a situation, is in total denial, is totally phony? and even has become your protagonist, your antagonist, that person that's coming against you? You know who my favorite fighter is of all time? It's not McGregor, it's not Tyson, it's Winston Churchill. That man fought with his mouth so, with so much wit. In fact, one time, uh, a woman came up to him and said, Mr. Churchill, by the way, for those of you that might not know, Winston Churchill was the representative of the Prime Minister of England during World War II. And had he not taken a stand, Europe would probably be German right now. Not one of the proudest moments of America, but we basically, in Franklin Delano Roosevelt encouraged him to f sail the Navy fleet of England over to the United States so that Hitler wouldn't be able to reach us. And then finally they got in their right mind and they said, we need to enter the war. Winston Churchill was off of his rocker in every good way. And this woman comes up to him and goes, Mr. Churchill, she goes, if I was your, if I was your wife, I'd poison your tea. And he looks back at her and he says, ma'am, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. <laughs> and <laughs> you ever see those people, they have a wit that they just flip something on its head? So he gets out and he says, you know, Sir Kenneth Horton is, does not have the mind of a flea. And so they, there was this big uproar and they, they demanded that he apologize to this man, Kenneth Hawthorne, I think it was, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but he was, he was, he was it was demanded of him that he would walk into parliament and he would apologize publicly for saying this man didn't, did not have the mind of a flea. And so then he, he just, the, everybody who was annoyed or hated him that was a critic or a protagonist, he walks in and he says in, into the crowd, he stops, the whole place goes quiet, he goes, I'm sorry on such and such a date, at such and such a time. I said that Sir Kenneth Horton did not have the mind of a flea. 
I have recanted my statement here publicly and have come to the conclusion since that time that he does have the mind of a flea. And he turned and he walked out and everybody's like, you can't, you can't catch this guy. He just, boom, bam. Well, here's the thing. Wickedness in people is a real thing. Phonies is a real thing. These people spotted them from a mile away. And there are so many false doctrines and so many false beliefs. There is so much synchronism in our time. I ask myself, good Lord, do young adults and old adults read the Bible? No, and the answer is no. I just heard somebody say no. <laughs> if, I, if I were to ask you, are you reading God's word? The chance would probably be, how are you going to know what God says into your life if you're not listening to him in his word? Everything you ever need to hear from him is in that book. Every correction to set the chart, the course of your life, every need for peace is found there. Every single answer to a problem is found there in principle. God wants to speak into your life if we would just, we would just listen to him. But there's a problem with the Ephesians. The problem is, is that while they are experts at having no tolerance for wicked people, and while they're incredibly gifted at exposing false doctrine, they just loved it a little bit too much. If I were to title this message, it would be the Church of Ephesus, the church that got the point and ruined the person. Why would I say that? Because in the midst of this, even though they persevered under great hardship and difficulty, and even though Jesus goes on and says, you've, in, you've persevered, you've endured great hardship for my name's sake and have not grown weary, he then says this, yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. You walked away from it. You abandoned it. I hold this against you. There's something, in other words, the way that this would be worded better would be, there's something about you I disapprove of. I have a criticism to make against you. I have to scold you about something. You've forsaken the love that you had at first. They had a lot going for them. They took a stand against false teachers. They didn't compromise to sensual or sexual environment that's, that surrounded them. They didn't tolerate wickedness or people who were. They had a gift for exposing phonies, but the flame of the first love that Jesus kindled in their heart was growing to a flicker. They lost their love and they chose to focus on things that made them the church that got the point but missed the person. In this room, if you're like me that walked into a church one time, my life was a mess. My thinking was all over the place. Words like wicked, false teaching, all of that would have defined me but somebody reached out to me 
and corrected the issues that God calls sin in my life. They didn't hug me. Love is not love, as the, as the secular creed goes. Love is tough. God says he disciplines those he loves. People in the church would, would, would say to me, Paul, you gotta change this in your life. You need to walk away from this. And Jesus is saying, there's something in your life that I have against you. You need to change this or I'm gonna remove the lampstand because the lamp is supposed to be a light and you're not shining in this area. It's amazing to me that this church had everything going for it. They, they did everything that seemed great, but not all doctrines are the heart of the gospel. Not all errors are properly labeled heresy, and not all disagreements are worth fighting about. Many of the churches most firmly committed to the truth of the gospel are also the churches that have drawn such hard, tight boundaries on secondary issues that they get the point and they miss the person. It was amazing to me that back in the 60s, we could just take in drug addicts and drunks and, and you know, sit there and get puked on and just be like, God loves you so much. But now we've got a gender identity thing, which believe me, it's, it's, it's messed up. I, I, it's, it's confusion. Your identity does not come from your feelings. Your gender does not come from your feelings. And I'm not trying to turn this into a whole conversation, but the Bible has a lot to say about this issue, a lot more than you think if you were reading the book. If you're not reading the book, you, you're, you're at a disadvantage because you're not doing it. But it also doesn't call us to run around and ram the sword of God's spirit down people's throats. Wouldn't one of the most uh, beautiful things that's been taking place, uh, Adam and I, one of our elders, we went out recently to breakfast and we have these conversations from time to time. We were talking about church stuff and there's a woman that's there. Her son's been battling addictions. One week my wife felt moved to give her a very large tip and when she sees us, she cries and she banters. You know when someone likes you when they, you know they like you when they make fun of you and they banter. So whenever we show up there once in a while, she just kind of banters with us and I had on my Irish shirt which is uh, got the word Yggdrasil which is actually, that's a Viking word but the whole concept of a tree of life. I want you to know your Christmas tree comes from my pagan culture, um, the tree of life imagery that I'll, sorry for that. By the way, even Halloween, red and black are the Irish blacks of, our colors of black. We actually brought Halloween to you. That was our doing. Sorry, um, not really my fault, but you know, but she stops. We pray with her all the time. Pastor Dolan's prayed with her all the time. And then Adam goes to me, something I didn't even know. He goes, do you know that she's a Wiccan? I, I what? Yeah, she's a Wiccan. She, pra she practices Wiccan, which is like a, I call that soft witchcraft, you know? And I was like, and she's letting us pray for her? She likes us? You see, if you're all about the fight and not about the right, and believe in God's got the might, I mean, you know, just like if you, It's a terrible thing to be in the place where Ephesus was because they got the point, but they missed the person. Now I've got different conversations I can have with her. Uh, there were times when we were trying to bridge his, her son into Teen Challenge because he was struggling, but I think it really makes it that a church where love ceases can no longer function properly as a church that is an expression of God's love, and if the shoe fits, wear it. Our love keeping us close to Christ feeds the source of that flame, not 
not thinking properly. And although we're ever on our guard to maintain the purity of apostolic teaching, orthodoxy, the Ephesus church lacked diligence to shine their faith outside to the world in orthopraxy. In other words, they could tell you everything about the latest debate and discussion and disagreement. But if you were to ask them, when was the last time that you said to somebody, can I pray with you? Or when was the last time you said, you know, I, I did something in my life once. It changed me forever. I asked, I asked God through the work that Jesus Christ did, through his son Jesus, to come in and be Lord of my life, to help me with my problems and to help me with my sins because I couldn't handle them. And I would love to lead you in a prayer. If I were to ask you, when was the last time you did that with anyone who you know is so messed up? They need Jesus. They're so messed up. If you were in a fiction, you would just, ah. You see, it's not that they left, the way this is worded, it's not that they left their first love, Jesus. And it's not that they left uh, their first love of loving each other. It's they lost that love that kindled inside of them, that first love that they had when they first came to know who Jesus was for real, for themselves, not because their parents raised them in it, not because their grandma used to take them to church, but when they said, I want to know this for me. He's my Lord. I'm going to ask the worship individual or team, whoever it is you got in the queue, just to come up, and I'd like to to bring this to a close. Jesus goes on and he says this, consider how far you've fallen, repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. That's sobering. If we're a church that gets the point and misses the person, Jesus can shut this work down so fast. And what's amazing is there are tons of churches, tons of parachurch works, tons of places that get the point and miss the person, and they've just, you show up, and it's like, Jesus doesn't. In fact, if he did, they wouldn't know what to do with it. If God saw, if people started weeping and people started saying, I gotta repent, they wouldn't know what to do with it. Here's, here's the instruction that, that God gives. You see, he introduces himself. He's the one that's got every part of your life t- in contact. He's constantly walking amongst us. And he has a punch list of things that he is telling us, listen, I am so proud of you. You see, I love the fact that God doesn't withhold praise. Some people withhold praise as punishment. Some people think that the world moves through, if you give enough shame, that will turn into motivation. That's that's killing our culture. The opposite is killing our culture, too. We just take everybody where they're at and never challenge them. But Jesus loves us enough that he can say, I got you. I'm with you. I'm here. And I'm so proud of you. You got this right. 
your life concerning sin. You've, you've got a hold of some things that people take a lifetime to do. I'm so proud of that, my goodness. And man, we need more people exposing false doctrines with syncretism that just says, you can do with your body what you want, but your soul is a totally separate thing. You can do with your life what you want. Jeremiah said this, I know that a man's life is not his own. It is not man to decide what to do with his life. Jeremiah said it's, he would have picked a totally different gig. He said, I know that a man's life is not his own. God wants to remind you, your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. You belong to him. Don't say, listen, he said all of these things. I'm just so proud of you. You've got this under control. You've got that under control. You can do this, but here's the problem is that the flame is turned into a flicker. And it's not that you don't love me, and it's not that you don't love the people in church when you're in church. The problem is, is that you lost that fire that can't be hidden. Jesus said, no one lights a fire and puts it under a bowl. What'll happen? It'll go out. But it puts it on display to let it be seen. It shines its light. It exposes things, things that need to change. It exposes things, things that need to be complemented. He says, this is the purpose that I put you here, that you would shine your light. It's not just writing a check to hold the rope with dollars and cents. Some of you need to be on the other side of that rope, and someday will be. But it's, it's, it's also holding so closely to Jesus that you ask his permission for your life. Lord, what do you want with my life? Where do you, I wish I could speak to every single person under the age of 30 in this place to say there is no greater thing you can do than to give your life to serve Jesus Christ with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I wish I could do it. We are coming to the edge of eternity. There is not much that's left to this thing called time before Jesus comes back. Wouldn't it be a shame if we got the point and we missed the people? What if we could be all of the good things that the Ephesians church was, but that we could wander our way back into that closeness when you came to Jesus where you cried and said, whatever, Whatever you ask, I want to obey you. And here's what I'd like to do is, is, as Mary Evelyn plays, I just want to give you an invitation to just across this room to quietly reflect on your life. Say, Lord, what from this letter applies to me? What are those steps I need to take? And here's the important thing for you to understand. The Bible says two things that really encourage me. One of them is this. No one can come to the Son unless the Father draws him. And Mary Evelyn sings this song once in a while. It just The verse is just, draw me close, draw me close, and I'll run after you. That comes from Song of Solomon. Draw me and I'll run after you. Some of us, it's been a long time that we've given Jesus our attention and haven't noticed that he's been in a holy way flirting with us. Say, notice me. I want to captivate your life. I want to overtake it. I want to bless it. 
give me your attention. And the other is, is that not that we loved him first, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, which tells me that despite the things that need to change, despite the things I have going for me, it's not a pro-con list, it's just a healthy 360 evaluation that God loves me in the state that I'm at. Whether you're here this morning and you have a raging sexual or drug addiction, you have an anger problem, and you're a spouse beater, you're a compulsive liar and you can't even you wouldn't even know the truth if it stared you in the face or the word hypocrite literally means to perform to the music it doesn't mean an actor the original word means that the tone of the music that you live your life when you walk into an environment and you temper yourself to know how to behave because of what the environment is around you instead of the one that's within you. And this is why they were so passionate about one thing, but if Jesus is the greatest thing that ever happened to you, why would you keep that a secret? Why? Why would you not be praying and looking for opportunities to share him? It's not about just bringing people to church. This time is coming to a close. The end is near. Whatever that looks like, the world still needs Jesus. So I'd like to pray this prayer and let her play. I just say, take five minutes. Some of you have children, so just take limited to five minutes. If you want to take 10, this is us and Jesus. You might be like, this is my first time in church. This is this is great timing for you. You can have your first conversation with God. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to be somebody that loves people. Help me to open up your, your, your book, the Bible, and read. Read Matthew, read John, read the book of Acts. Great books to, to start. Don't start in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. But this is us and God. Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, we got the memo. And Lord, now we individually reflect with you. There's no way. The, the pleasures of this world are too sweet. Some of us are too good at winning the wit battle. We can't do this, so we ask you to draw us back to the love that we had at first and do the things that we did back when you meant everything to us. We want to return to our first love, to the one who is our first love and how we express that love like we, we did when we got engaged, like we did when we came to know you for the first time. Thank you again for being with us today. To listen to our messages, follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, and go to ne-cc.org 
for all news, events, and updates. Thank you and God bless.